Eternal life is in the Son. You know, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We know these verses very well. And if you've been here for just a few Sundays, you hear them repeatedly. They're worth repeating because we need to always keep before us the fact that there is salvation in no other name under heaven. There's salvation in no one else. That Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There's there's only one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. You see, the word is, or the world is, is telling us something different all the time. No one else offers this. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. Not Gandhi. Not anyone. You know, I'm reminded of when that, that moment when Peter was confronted by Jesus as to whether he wanted him, uh, wanted to leave him like all the others were leaving him when he was teaching things that were difficult. You know, we, we do the very same things. I, I see people do it all the time, that when it comes to the difficult things of God, we may not physically retreat, but emotionally and volitionally, that is, by choice, we remove ourselves. You know, Peter was confronted by Jesus in this moment. Jesus was teaching about him being the bread of life. There were many who turned away from him. In John chapter 6, verses 67 through 69, it says, So Jesus said to the twelve, so not just to Peter, but he spoke to all of the other eleven besides Peter. The twelve meaning the twelve apostles. And he asked the question, do you want to go away as well? I love this about Jesus because he puts the responsibility and holds us accountable to what we choose. He did this with Peter. He did this with the 12. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, our lives as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, should at some point come to the same conclusion. Where else are we going to go? To whom shall we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Again, we can withdraw from the Lord when it comes to difficult things in our lives because we do not like what he says. We figure, well, I'd rather take this road, this avenue, this perspective, this attitude, because it fits me. I I like it. We ought to answer just as Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know 
personally experience and receive and trust in, cling to, rely upon that you are the Holy One of God. Hey, listen, Christ alone has the words of eternal life. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One of God. John the Baptist said as he saw Jesus coming toward him, remember when he was, he was baptizing in the Jordan, he was, his baptism was one of repentance. And Jesus, and he was preparing the way for the Lord, for the coming of the Lord. And as he saw him coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, even the Roman centurion, when Jesus was crucified and he saw the manner in which he died. In Mark chapter 15, verse 39 says, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man is the Son of God. What a confession. It was a confession of what was true. But as we've been learning through 1 John, knowing of or believing about Jesus is not what saves. There are many who who believe, who know about, and do not know salvation. But it's rather having a personal knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior, personally, surrendering our lives to Him, yielding to His authority, submitting to the governance of Jesus Christ, His very Word, to believe that he has indeed come in the flesh, lived a sinless, sinless life, and died a sinner's death, and was resurrected on the third day, that we may have and know eternal life. Knowing that we have been, been reconciled unto the Father through the Son. To believe the testimony of Jesus and yield our lives to him alone for eternal life as a Son of God. That is to know salvation. That should be reflected in, in our lives. You know, we've been going through this letter. The, 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 this letter, I mean, it's, it's all summed up in this one verse. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. There's a confidence that, that we belong to him and he belongs to us. It, it should humble us. It should help us to put things in proper perspective. But it should be reflected in the manner in which we live our lives. In complete surrender to him. You could say in many ways an abandon to ourselves. Not considering ourselves, but looking to him. For everything. This morning, we're focusing on the testimony of Jesus. The testimony comes from the Holy Spirit, the water and the blood, as we have read. These three testify that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the spirit we know testifies of the truth. Jesus was born of a virgin, baptized in the water, and he shed his blood on the cross to atone for our sins. Jesus, having been sent by the Father, was born, baptized, and crucified that we, you and I, may have eternal life. That's what needed to be settled. And so he was sent. And all who believe on him, Jesus Christ, will know eternal life. So let's begin with the testimony of Jesus, who he actually is. Very simply put, very directly, it says in verse 6 again, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For, the, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. John points to Jesus who was not, well, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spiritual body appearing as a person, but not actually having a physical body. There, there, are, there are some um, people who believe that. He didn't really, he only appeared to be in body, but he really wasn't in body. He was, he was a ghost. He was a spirit. But John himself is testifying of what he has written back in chapter 1 about the physical existence of Jesus and who he is. So going back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John begins this letter with these words, saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, there is nothing that a believer wants more than to have others that they love around them also come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's nothing. In fact, in 3 John uh, 1.4, it says, I, as, as John is writing, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There's no greater joy. And the apostle John, he expresses that there, he writes it there, and we know that this is the desire of the Lord. As John writes that Jesus came by water and blood, people, of course, and I'm going to give you a few different views. This is what people have come to assert or think about these verses. Some people have asserted that he meant that the water was our baptism and that the blood is the partaking of communion. Others believe that the water and blood was pointing to what flowed out of Jesus' side when he was pierced. As they were making sure that he was indeed dead on the cross. In John chapter 19 verse 34. But there is also the view that the water speaks of Jesus' birth and the blood speaks of his death. 
but then this last one would only speak of his humanity and not his deity. But the best and oldest recorded understanding of this passage by Tertullian is that the water is Jesus' baptism and the blood is Jesus' crucifixion. And so we agree. In Jesus' baptism, he was not being baptized for repentance. Remember that John's, re- John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus was not coming to the Jordan in order to partake of this baptism because he needed to repent. He was sinless. He was blameless. He's a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he could not be with blemish. And so when he came, he was baptized not for his sins. He was simply doing this. He was identifying with our humanity. That's what he was doing. In Jesus' crucifixion, he was not paying for his sin on the cross. Oh, the priests of the Old Testament, they, they would have to sacrifice, offer a sacrifice for their own sin before they could be in a place ready to minister to the Lord on behalf of the people. He was not doing that. Jesus was sinless. He was shedding his blood for you and I. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what the world attempts to do all the time? Is undermine the power of the cross. Diminish its effectiveness. Um, minimize it so that people will not see exactly what Jesus' shed blood on the cross truly means. The world will actually attempt to remove the offense of the cross. It's offensive. It's it's offensive to the sinner. As we look upon the cross, it tells us we are the ones who put him up there because we are the ones who are in desperate need of that atoning blood to cover our sins. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, I'm reminded of the fact that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is, it is the power of God. Others, we, we, cannot, we cannot speak enough about the cross and the power of the cross. The shed blood of Jesus Christ For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sins. We have the water that testifies of who Jesus is. We have the blood that testifies of who Jesus is. And then we have the Spirit. In John chapter 15, verse 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In fact, in John chapter 16, verse 13, 
Jesus speaking, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit himself testifies of truth. He testifies that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And so the water, the blood, and the Spirit, all three testify of who Jesus is. They are in agreement that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the Father, in alignment with the very Word of God. And they testify. You know, in a court of law, we have the testimony of those who have witnessed whatever it is that occurred. You know, when we come to the Word of God, we have, we have people that can testify and have testified, and we have record of, of that as to who Jesus is. And you and I have people around us that testify of who he is as well. Perhaps we came to the Lord because we heard the testimony of someone. And we came to believe, but greater than these, greater than these, is God himself, his testimony. And he lays it out for us in the word. Now, I do want to make a brief note before we continue on about verse 7. And that's why I brought... This Bible. So this is, we, I teach out of the uh, ESV translation. I chose to do that years ago. And it's a very sound translation. It's a, it's a good one to teach out of. Perhaps some of you um, have the New King James translation, right? Some of you. So your verse 7 is, is a little bit different. Right, as you were following along, right, you, you thought, well, okay, it's a, it's a little different. There's a little more to it. Verse 7. Let's take a look at verse 7. <clears throat> so verse 7 in the ESV says, for there are three that testify. That's it. New King James says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now, the question, before we get into it any further, is this true? The answer is yes. Yes, it is true. All right? So then why isn't it in the other translation? Well, I'm glad you asked, and we're going to explain that. <laughs> Although this statement is true, all of the ancient translations... Do not include this portion. You, you might see it in your margin, a little footnote that makes reference to that. Right. So where'd they get it from? Well, it's found only in the, in the Latin Vulgate. It, it was noted in the margin, but was included in, 19, or in, not 19, in 1522 by Erasmus, because one manuscript was found with these words in it. And so it was in the margin. And, and one thing that he said, well, if you find one ancient Greek translation with those words, I will inclu include it. 
and there was one that was found. He was good to his word, and he included it in there. But all of the ancient translations, uh, the translations do not include this portion. So, because the Greek text that Erasmus wrote is what was used to write the King James Bible, these words became part of the King James and subsequently the New King James Version, which perhaps you have, some of you have. This portion of Scripture needed no help whatsoever. No, no help. Although that statement is true, it doesn't mess with doctrine. It doesn't change uh, the validity uh, of that verse whatsoever. And so it remains as it is. But I just wanted to make a note because some people, they'll look at that and they'll get hung up on it and won't be able to move on. So I'm going to ask you, please, do not get hung up on that. If you have any further questions, I can point you to some great resources that will give you great scholarly background on that verse and help you understand why it is the way it is in the translation. That's one of the reasons why I chose to go with the ESV, by the way, because those footnotes that you have in the King James and New King James is actually those things that have been um, changed and more accurately translated in the ESV. That's all. That's it. So that is why I've, I've gone. I've, cho- I've chosen to go with the ESV. Like I said, years ago, it's probably been, what, uh, 11, 12 years or something like that, almost from the very beginning of the church. Again, this doesn't change doctrine. And so the water, the blood, and the spirit, all three testify of who Jesus is. They are, again, in agreement, and I want to point you to that, that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the Father. And does the Father testify of the Son? Yes, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That was the Father speaking of the Son, His Son, right? All right. So let's go on. Believe in Jesus, possess the testimony. Verse 9, as we continue in 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar uh, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Now, there are those who initially receive the testimony of man. As I had mentioned earlier, you receive the testimony of man. They give witness to who Jesus is. But then after some time, as you... Get into, read the Word of God, study the Word of God, understand the Word of God. Many come to believe for themselves that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. In John chapter 4, verse 39, this is one of my favorite stories because it's a story of the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus. And initially, if you follow along, um, you, you will acknowledge the fact that initially this Samaritan woman referred to Jesus as a Jew. And then as the conversation continued on, she acknowledged him as a prophet. And then finally, finally, in verse 29, 
She said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The anointed one, the Messiah. And so she gave testimony. She quickly went back to her friends, to everyone that she could possibly tell about who she encountered, who she had a conversation with. Went from Jew to prophet to Christ, the anointed one. Verse 39 said, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Oh, what a joy. When people initially believe you, your testimony. Oh, that that brings joy, right? You think, wow, that's wonderful. They believed what I shared with them, and they came to surrender, yield their lives to the Lord. How wonderful. But then when they begin to read and they begin to study and they begin to understand, oh, it is no longer your testimony. Just like the Samaritans, oh, they spent time with Jesus. They heard directly from him. And they came to know, oh, he is indeed, he is indeed the Savior of the world. When it becomes your faith, it's a personal experience. Possessing Belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They hear the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Then they see in our testimony a a transformed life. New life in that person who's speaking, who's giving testimony of salvation through Jesus Christ. And some are led to believe. Some come to believe. But again, as they read and understand for themselves, oh, how wonderful it is when their eyes light up, their hearts become full and soft and open to the word of God. The spirit gives them understanding and they can't wait to come and fellowship and share Because they've seen and they've tasted that the Lord indeed is good. There's a a difference. You know, a person who who believes for themselves, oh, they find great joy in the fellowship of the saints, in the service of God, in, in being obedient to the word of God, serving him, being a part of the body. There is great joy in that. It's different. Christianity is not a blind faith. Believing what others say about Jesus without any word from God, well, he's given us his word. It's the Bible. You're holding it in your hands. We don't take people's word for it. We can go straight to the word itself and know for ourselves and have fellowship and communion with the word. God testifies of who Jesus is and his testimony is true. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As God speaks what is true, the person who does not believe makes himself himself a liar. He doesn't make, is God a liar? No. Yeah, but I don't believe him. What John is stating very clearly is God is not a liar. And if we do not agree with him, what happens is we are really revealed as the liar. The truth is not in the person who is in disbelief or unbelief of God and his word. And the more a person lives with that lie embedded in his heart, the more callous that person is toward the gospel. This, this is the dangerous part of, of consistently rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over. You hear it over and over and over again, and you reject it time and time again. Here's where the danger lies. That person becomes more callous toward the things of God, the word of God, dismisses it so easily. That person will stiffen his or her stance against God and eventually completely reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit, which leads, who leads us in all truth, rejects the work that the Spirit has within us of convicting us of our sin. We completely reject it, and therefore, we are the ones who block the salvific work. You know, God desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If we had no choice, we couldn't be held accountable. You know, <clears throat> if, if our children were simply robots, right? They, what they did and what they said... All of that. If it wasn't, if they don't, they didn't have the power to choose. They, they didn't have a will. Then they couldn't be held accountable for what they do or say. But because they do, we hold them accountable. In a like manner, God offers us His gift of salvation. The Holy Spirit does his work and he convicts us of that sin giving us understanding that that sin separates us from the father we understand that what we deserve is eternal damnation and if we continue to reject the gospel that he is offering us salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ what begins to happen is our hearts become callous and at some point we even sear our consciences to where we're not responding to anything whatsoever we don't make him a liar we ourselves are revealed as being the liars because we are not in the truth and the truth is not in us but to the one who does believe in the Son of God, well, that person possesses the testimony in himself and knows eternal life. Lastly, 
possess the testimony, no eternal life. And that's what, what uh, God desires, is that we would possess the testimony, that we would know eternal life. Verse 11 says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is, <clears throat> this is the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation. It was by the offering of Jesus on the cross that we have come to know the forgiveness of our sins, to know salvation by God's grace. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after, saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. It's been done. It's been paid in full. Jesus did it. Done. Complete. Hallelujah. Absolutely why he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding on behalf of you and I. There's only one mediator, Christ Jesus. One, one, one that is interceding on our behalf. He offered himself, what love, what grace. God has offered the gift of salvation eternal life through his son only it's only through him and if you have the indwelling of Jesus then you have eternal life if you do not have the indwelling of Jesus then you do not have eternal life but rather remain condemned in your sin there is no again and I say this repeatedly there is no in between there is no I'm getting there you, you're either there or you're not. I'll do it later. There may not be a later. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. This evening is not guaranteed to anyone. I, I, I wish I could tell you it was different. I wish I could tell you, you have all the time in the world. There should be no sense of urgency. You're okay. But I can't do that. I can't tell you that in good conscience. There, there has to be at some point, and I, I hope and I pray that perhaps this is the moment to where you understand, you realize that, that this is the most important decision you can make in your entire life. Because it determines your eternal destiny, where you will be for all eternity. Again, the world will have you believe it's just a fairy tale. It's, it's what the world makes of life, which is really truly life. No, life is in the sun. 
He is the one who offers himself that we may know eternal life, that we may at some point know life in God's glory for all eternity. So the question this morning for all of us this morning, do you have the assurance of eternal life only known by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ? And again, I I just followed that up with this question. What evidence is there in your life that you know this with great confidence? This is what John has been laying out for us. We, We are to have confidence. He wants us, God wants us to have confidence knowing that we have salvation. We know we have eternal life. We know that we've been forgiven of our sins. We know we belong to God. There should be evidence. If there's no evidence, my friend, I'm telling you with great love, repent. Repent and believe on the Son of God. Cry out to Him. Call out to Him as Lord and Savior. This may be the last time that you are offered this. May be the last time. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can, I cannot tire of hearing this. We cannot tire of hearing this. We all benefit from hearing once again that God saved us by his grace through faith in his son in whom we believe and have called upon as Lord and Savior. You know, as we worship and we call upon him, Lord, Savior, you are my God. You are everything. You are the great I am. We rejoice. Our hearts are full. Do you know that you have eternal life? I pray for anyone who is who, unsure this morning that you do business with the Lord. You do not leave without doing that. Wherever you're at. You know, there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. None. You may have come through those doors just an absolute wreck. You, you have done so much. And you think, how can God forgive me of this. People around me don't know where I'm at, where my my heart's at. No, they don't. But God does. And there is no sin so great that God will not forgive. I pray that you walk out of here with great confidence that you belong to Jesus Christ. As you, he's your Lord and Savior. His spirit would indwell you and seal you for the day of redemption. The heavens rejoice over one sinner that repents. I pray that the heavens are just celebrating this morning in such a big way. Galatians 5.20 or 2.20, I'm sorry. And I pray this for us. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Eternal life is in the Son. Do you have this testimony indwelling you? My prayer is that you are confident in your salvation, that you may know that you have eternal life in Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. And again, did I say Christ alone? It's only in Christ. I haven't done this in a while, but I'm going to ask all of you to stand up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We, we may have made um, private confessions. Maybe at some point confess our sins to the Lord and ask Him to be Lord and Savior, but He calls us, tells us that we are to do it publicly. Okay. This morning, it, this is what I want for us to do as a church. Number one, if there's anyone who, who needs to recommit their lives to the Lord, you've been kind of lukewarm. That today be the day where you, you abandon yourself. The, the Bible says that, Jesus says that we are to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. Don't worry about pride. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. This morning I pray for anyone who needs to recommit their lives to the Lord that you would make it public here within the body of Christ. There's no safer place. There really isn't. Everyone will rejoice with you. I'm also asking that if there's anyone who this morning would like to, or maybe you have already, completely surrendered your, your lives to the Lord, that you would also make a public stance. That you would acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior before men, that he may confess you before the Father as his. I'm going to ask you to make a public stance proclamation as well. So I don't know what song y'all are going to pick, but it's during that song that I'm, I'm going to be up here Whoever wants prayer, I'm going to ask Stephen to come up, Modesto come up, Jake come up. And we're going to end this way. For some, you can pray, you can sing the song. But for anyone else, it might be just everyone just coming and asking to be prayed over, making a, a public declaration of, of your recommitment to the Lord or a first-time commitment to him, surrendering your heart, I would ask you that at this time, you would come up, wherever you are. Don't hold back. May the Spirit convict you. May the Spirit do that work. May you allow him to do that, leading you in all truth and bring you to that point of surrendering your lives to him. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word.
Well, Lord, we, know, we need no emotional stirring. We simply need the, con- the work of conviction of the Holy Spirit that points out where we've fallen short. Lord, your desire is that none should perish, but that all reach repentance. And I pray right now, Lord, that, Lord, people would be willing to stand and make a declaration that they belong to you, that they've surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would be willing to come up and be encouraged to be prayed over. So, Lord, you do the work. We wait upon you. We hope in you. We know what you desire. May we be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.